O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your hands, sorry, in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be the portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. I've asked the guys to just stay uh, tonight. I want to just spend some time in this passage. I'll teach, but I just feel like we just need to stay in the place of worship tonight. Um, so we've been praying and, and journeying together as a church for a number of months now. It feels like God is, is birthing something fresh in us in the place of worship. We've known since we started as a church that God had put inside of many of us that kind of a calling individually. And as our lives come together, it's been so beautiful to watch that liturgy come together, this work of the people. So tonight we just want to put our voices together and, and to join our voices not only with each other, but to join our voices with the company of heaven, to join our, our voices with the communion of saints, to allow men like David to lead us in worship tonight. Certainly tonight we want to create space, but I feel like even as a church, is, and, and, and I hope tonight you start to catch why. I, I feel like God's beginning to give me a greater picture of why. We need to create extended spaces to just be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, to come and, and, and to sit and to just be, because truly like the psalmist, many of us, whether we recognize it or feel it tonight in the moment or not, have a thirst have a hunger, have a longing that makes the, weak, the knees weak. I love it. David just, this is a desperate place, this wilderness that he finds himself in. Like a dry and weary land where there is no water. His, his soul, it says, his, his very being, right down to the bones of David, are fainting.
There's a thirst created in dry and weary places. There's a faintness that happens in our lives, and it's, it's very natural. Uh, tonight in worship, as we continue to look at this psalm and to worship together, it is very right to pray where you don't feel connected with that hunger. There's, in a while, we'll sing a, an older song that's been on my heart as I've prepared called Hungry. And I know there's been many times I've sung that familiar song and had to turn it into a prayer that I would be hungry. I mean, sometimes we come into these places and we've actually become so tired or so thirsty that we actually start to feel a bit of a disconnect or, or, or a loss of, uh, we, we would say, I don't really even know that I feel anything, right? And so for us in this place to come to this psalm and to ask the Lord to, by his spirit, help us connect with the true hunger that we, we have, with the thirst that is very real for us as people, that can only be met by the one who said. I am living water, in John 4. He speaks to a woman at a well. Jesus has come thirsty. Jesus is, has come with a need. And as he begins in dialogue about water, literally, he says in John 4, that whoever drinks of the water that Jesus provides will find it to be like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so worship becomes this gift, this, this, this place where we come and we lay aside our, our, our agendas. I just, that song we were singing has had me undone all week. I didn't come for blessings. And that line then, Jesus, you don't owe me anything, it actually grabbed my heart. I, I was trying to remember, Jana might remember, I wrote a song years ago that literally had that same lyric in it. Just this idea that it was finished on the cross. That we don't come into worship with an attitude that is like, you know, here I am, Lord. You better do what I need you to do tonight. It's not that we come in this place of the Lord owing us something. But we come in a posture of beholding, of readiness, of honesty, even in places of desperation and wilderness. And we come to a God just like David says, my God, my God. He recognizes who it is that he addresses right from the top. Because it's not about the Lord owing us anything, but boy, does worship become a place of blessing. The wilderness is a place of lack and of, of deep need. It's a, it's a desperate place. David uses very desperate language here. Sometimes we're very aware of our desperation. Sometimes we've become somewhat numb to it. But when I read this passage and I hear David speak of this, and even if you look at the preface to the psalm, it's very clear, it's told that this was a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And when I think of David in the wilderness, my attention immediately kind of gets drawn, my biblical sensibilities get tweaked, I kind of spidey senses tingle, and I think of the Israelites in the wilderness. Anytime I hear wilderness, that's the big one for me. I'm like, boy, that's like most of the Old Testament. So it just brings me to this wilderness place that they find themselves in. And particularly as we read this psalm tonight and it talks about a dry and weary land where there's no water, it brings me to a story in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, 
The people have been led out of their land of slavery. They've been miraculously brought through the Red Sea. They've experienced the divine and miraculous provision of manna from heaven. And they've been living in that provision for over a week. But as they get up and begin to move, it says that they come to camp in a place where there was no water. And when they find themselves in this dry and weary land, when they find themselves in this place with no water, a few things start to happen in their hearts. And they're not super um, attractive things. They're not the kinds of things that we would want to boast of. But most of us can probably relate to this in desert places, in desperate places of our lives. They begin to quarrel, it says, with Moses. So they begin in their spirits to wrestle and to fight with those who are leading them. They begin to turn on those who have brought them. They forget out of the land of their slavery, it seems, who have led them in the way of God, who have shown them the presence and the provision of God, and all they see is a leader who has brought them to this wilderness spot. And they begin to quarrel with Moses. It says that they also begin to grumble against Moses. As Moses begins to try and speak into this desert place, the quarreling turns to grumbling. <laughs> and the nature of the grumbling is even quoted for us. He sums it up this way in Exodus 17. They begin to say, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? When I read that, it actually has a, just a, make some connections. It actually pulls me back to our passage two weeks ago where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples in the storm in the Sea of Galilee. And as they wake him and come to him, their question is, you don't care that we die here? In the midst of their wilderness, it seems like the wilderness has taken over. And it's all they can see. And they begin to look at their leaders and even at the Lord himself. We're told that they begin to test the Lord asking, is the Lord among us or not? Moses turns to God and as a leader, he asks a question that I can imagine I would ask too if I was in his shoes. God, what do I do? The whole company of Israel is turning on me and they're turning on you and they're asking questions out of places of real hunger I'm actually going to read for you Exodus 17, verse 5. He asks the Lord, what should I do? And God is very clear with Moses. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on a rock at Horat, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses does as the Lord instructs, and the Lord is faithful to his promise. But what's incredible to me is it's as, and what stands out to me, and I'm going to draw it back to Psalm 63 here, as Moses stands there in that place, 
with people who could very much use a psalm that hasn't been written yet, but one day will resonate and draw back and pull back to this human experience of, of desperation and of, and of need for which there seems to be no answer, there seems to be no solution. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek for you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In that space, in that place of prayer, Moses does something the Lord instructs him to do that's very significant. He stands up in a way that they can see him. And he lifts up in his hand his staff. What does worship look like for you, for us, in places like this? Do we respond in places like this, like Israelites in Exodus 17, quarreling, demanding, grumbling, despairing, testing? And I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes, if I'm honest, that's what's going on in my heart in worship. Like it's tempting to land there, even in the place of worship. As we gather together, as we go to the daily office in our daily rhythms, as we spend time in the presence of the Lord, especially when we find ourselves in places of, of wilderness, when we find ourselves in these places that are pressing these desperate parts of our hearts. What does, what does worship look like? If it was to be true and right in those places, and my suggestion to you is it looks more like what we see in Psalm 63 in David's example to us. It looks more like what we see in the place of Moses in Exodus 17. Where Moses in this place of desperation and on top of, I mean, Moses has nothing to drink either. This is not a problem just for the people he's leading. He's thirsty too. And yet on top of that now, he has everyone who he's led out into this wilderness um, hanging on him their concerns for their children and their wives and their livestock. We're talking about desperate places. And, and instead of turning against God, Moses turns to God. And I want to suggest that the lifting of the staff was an act of worship. Psalm 63 is for us an incredible guide in dry and weary places. And so if you find yourself tonight in those kinds of places, and you will in your life find yourself in those places. As we pray this psalm, we find ourselves following David into worship, following him as a worship leader. We find ourselves being led into worship into a place where we can behold God. where suddenly the place of our desperation, the place of our thirst, becomes a place of encounter. Where right there, both the literal but the metaphorical place of our thirst and our hunger comes into contact with living water, with the bread of life. Psalm 63 teaches us that worship in desperate places is all about beholding a God 
who was in the beginning, is here now, and will be forever, world without end. And so we come in alongside David and we watch and we learn from his worship. We learn from his prayer. We let his psalm take us into a place of worship that involves remembrance and thanksgiving. That that in a place where you may even look around, you may even look at your life and say, I see nothing in the present that, that stirs my heart to thanksgiving. David teaches us that that doesn't mean you can't enter into thanksgiving and worship. He uses the language of the past tense. I have looked upon your beauty. I have beheld you, God, in your sanctuary. He remembers in in verse 7, the beginning of verse 7, you, God, have been my help. This isn't the first time that I've been thirsty. This isn't the first time that my knees are giving way. This isn't the first time that I find myself in this place where I connect with the deep need that I have for Jesus. But I remember those places before and they were places of your faithfulness. And so he leads us into a place of worship that looks to the past and remembers that this is a God who was in the beginning. But he also leads us into a place of prayer and worship that exercises faith and realizes that as God's people, we have hope for the future, and it's a confident hope. My soul, he says, will be satisfied. That in the thirsty and dry and desperate place that he finds himself, the psalmist is right to declare the hope and the sure hope of his life in God. That he will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you. I will sing for joy. When we choose to worship in the wilderness, that present act of worship, there in that moment, tonight, right here where we are, is authentic and true worship. No matter how I feel, no matter where I'm at, it can be true and authentic worship because it recognizes the immovable and steadfast God who we worship. This week, um, a good friend found himself in uh, the hospital, had crazy things happening. At the same time, his wife was also in the hospital. Um, everything, plans they'd made were going crazy. And he, he reached out and texted and said, I need you to pray. I'm, I'm not doing well. I f- he found himself in a dry and weary land. And he chose to turn towards God. He chose to behold God. And I sent him a passage that I preached from two weeks ago, which was Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Afterwards, he thanked me. He said, thank you so much. That, that verse was so helpful. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things pray. And the peace of God will come and guard your heart and mind. Thank you for that. But just as a side note, it took me a minute to get through the first verse, which says, rejoice in the Lord always. I like the rest. 
But I laid in that hospital bed. I laid in that desperate place. And that was a, that was a tough one. take a moment here and we'll come back to our text in a minute. David goes on in Psalm 63, verse 4, to say, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. He makes a choice in worship. He makes a choice in, in the real stuff of his life, and even on a day of desperation. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses has an encounter with, G with God before he goes to Israel to set them free. And when he's there, God meets him in a season when he's shepherding. And so one of the things he has with him is his shepherd's staff. And in Exodus chapter 4, God takes that simple shepherd's staff, the stuff of Moses' life, and he turns it into something very different. It's still just a shepherd's staff, and we see Moses throughout his life of leadership walk with that staff in his hand. You watch him through Exodus and Numbers. He pulls that staff out over and over and over. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses says, How will they know that you sent me? They're not going to trust me. How am I going to do this? He says, See that shepherd's staff? Throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground, and it turns to a serpent. And Moses then is instructed to take the serpent by the tail, and as he does, the serpent turns back to a shepherd's staff. It's, it's only a few chapters later that he's literally in the presence of Pharaoh and shows him this sign. The staff becomes this, this, this symbol, this sacramental reality, a visible sign of an invisible reality. 
that God is with them. When he parts the Red Sea, what does Moses do? He takes the staff in his hand and he lifts his arms up and plants that staff in the ground and the Red Sea parts. And we watch something in the physical happen that has forever spoke to the plan of God for our lives, both literally and figuratively. That he split the sea so I could walk right through it. In Exodus 17 that we just read, again, it's that staff in his hands that he raises before the people and in a dry and weary land, the proverbial water from the rock happens. Exodus 17, just following that story, we watched the Israelites go into battle. And it's this incredible story where as, as they wage war, as they move into their freedom and follow the path that God has for them and they encounter hostility, they find themselves in a place of opposition. Moses raises his arms up over the battle. And as long as he's got that staff and those arms raised up over the battle, they see victory. Moses' staff becomes a symbol of God's presence. When he lifts that up in the air, people begin to start to put it together. Wait a second. He did that at the river. He did that at the sea. He did that at the rock. And every time he lifts that staff, we remember God is with us. He raises that staff and it becomes not a lowly shepherd's staff, but a, a testament to the power of God. God is present, but God is powerful. It becomes a symbol of his presence, of his power, and of his provision. And so in the place of worship, when David spoke those words, I couldn't help but see the, the hands of Moses raised in the place of the wilderness. I will bless the Lord as long as I live, the psalm teaches us to pray. In your name, I will lift up my hands. In an act of worship, we lift our hands. Many of us even literally embodying this sacramental act. We lift our hands in this act of worship by which we exalt Christ, by which we lift the staff. But Paul later points out in 1 Corinthians 10 that the Israelites in the wilderness drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, which was the rock of Christ. He draws us all in this present day back to Exodus 17 and says, just as that staff was raised, so has Christ been raised. And so in worship, we raise our hands. And as we raise our hands, whether literally or figuratively, in worship, as we begin, especially in the place of the wilderness, in dry and weary lands, to lift our hands in worship, we make a choice. We make a choice in a place where, our, where, we, where we maybe don't feel like it. We make a choice in a place where, in fact, the more natural response would be a quarreling or a grumbling or a desperation. We lift our hands and we exalt Christ. 
we choose to exalt Jesus. And when we do, we declare to brothers and sisters, we declare to our own souls, we declare to the world around us, the presence, the power, and the provision of God in the wilderness. As we continue in worship tonight, let me say this as we, tonight, but I, I in this season, in the, in, as, a, as a church, and my prayer would be that in our forever, as we continue to walk as a worshiping community, let me say this, worship should not be subject to our circumstance. Worship should not be subject to our emotions. Worship should not be subject to our experiences or our perceived lack of experience. Worship is a choice that we make in every season of the soul. If ever you find yourself in a dry and weary land where there is no water, church, worship. Have you ever had the experience of sending a good friend a verse like rejoice in the Lord always when he's in the hospital. It's a little weird thing to do. You feel a little bit like, oh man, I hope he doesn't swing, right? Because it's like, you know, that is, that Paul says that because he knows that is the way of life. Drink from the fountain that never runs dry. If you're thirsty, worship. If you're desperate, worship. Choose like the psalmist to say, I will lift my hands. Speak it to your soul. When we choose it, we like Moses and David, see it right here in, in, in Psalm 63. He declares, I will be satisfied. If you're thirsty and you choose to worship, your thirst will be ministered to. Let's allow Psalm 63 in our lives together as a church and certainly right now in this moment to guide our hearts. Let Psalm 63 lead us to behold God tonight. Let Psalm 63 lead us into worship that is anchored in remembrance and thanksgiving. Never forgetting who God is and what he's done. Let Psalm 63 lead us into worship that is fueled by hope, a confident hope, as we exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. And together in this place, um, let's lift our hands. Let, let, whether figuratively or metaphorically, but let us lift our hands in worship. Let us, as David said, and as he leads us tonight, say, Lord, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My prayer is as we worship together now and always that as we lift our hands in worship, as we behold God, as we exalt Christ, that we would be people of his presence.
Earnestly I seek you. My soul it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Church, know tonight that you are not the only one who finds yourself thirsty. The city of Langley surrounds us in thirst. That many find themselves in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings for you, my right hand 
Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Lord, we want to be a people of worship. to be led by your spirit and, and set free by your spirit, to be a people of worship in every situation, to be a community of worship with a wide open front door that many could come and could see and maybe would come, would, would come in the first place with a quarreling, would, would come in the first place with a grumbling, that might make us think, oh my, what do we do? Lord, we, we commit tonight to be a church that will lift our hands in worship. To be a people of your presence. To allow you by your spirit to catch us up in your presence. Ever come Letting, letting the beginning of our worship be this declaration. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Lord, would you lead us into worship as a church? You may have already, if you haven't, then you certainly, if you hang out with us for a while, will hear the Lord's table spoken of as the high point in Christian worship. That as we come to the Lord's table here to partake of bread and wine and to encounter Jesus here in this moment, the whole of our lives, the whole of our songs, the whole of our psalms and our prayers culminate, they come together in the grand crescendo of the gospel as Jesus is exalted and lifted up. And so as you come to the table, I, I encourage you every time you come to prayer, every time you come to worship, every time you go for coffee with a brother or sister, to have expectation of encounter with Jesus. But church, when you come to the table, come confidently, especially if you're in desperate places, especially if you find yourself in a dry and weary land where there's no water. here to be satisfied by fat and rich food. As you can imagine, I like that passage. Even better than a trigger. It's even better than brisket. That's saying something. And my soul will be satisfied, says the man who just said, I thirst to the point of fainting. My soul will be satisfied here at the table of church come and be fed come and meet the man the, the Christ the Savior just like the woman at the well in John 4 who found him to be one with living water I invite you to come to the table tonight with the full of your life on your sleeve 
come honestly to the throne of grace, but to come confidently. In order to do that, let us first fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us first behold him tonight. To be caught up in his presence. Let's make our confessions to the Lord tonight. As you prepare your heart to come to the table, and maybe tonight for you, I know for me, there's some things. Just bring even in confession in the place of worship. I so appreciated the song, the one song we sang tonight called Nothing Else. Even just this heart of Cody Carnes as he wrote it, to just be so vulnerable and honest, but to give us a gift in which we could pray things like, I'm sorry for when I just was singing songs. I'm sorry when I forgot that you were enough. I'm s in the place of worship, maybe there's even some things tonight to confess. But let's make our humble confessions to the Lord before we join them together. All about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. 